All right, let's bow our heads. Father, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to call you Father and even Dad as we explore more about your faithfulness and love and mercy and goodness. We thank you, Father, for this time again to gather together as your children, as your family, as your sons, those who have been adopted forever by your grace. Help us concentrate, Father, on the message tonight. Help us hear what your Spirit has to say. And most of all, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, becoming a man to take our place once for all so that we could be be adopted forever and ever. Please bless everything that goes on this evening. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our good, merciful Father. A recent emphasis of the Spirit, not just from Sunday, but in recent lessons and blogs, is to focus on the good things. And one of those intrinsically good things to focus on is the mercy of God the Father. Uh, Pastor started Sunday's lesson with a verse on the board in Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And I wasn't, it wasn't until I was done with this lesson and named the lesson, you know, the title that we have, A Good Merciful Father, that I went back to Sunday's lesson and saw that he started with this verse before the official lesson began Sunday, if you remember, talking about us being merciful to ourselves. So God is bringing it all together, and um, apparently this is a point he wants to drive home with us. Mercy is certainly one facet of God's light. And the same Father that we are held accountable to, if you remember in our forgiveness series, That's the same Father who is merciful. Thank God for that. I mean, he's a a Father of love and discipline, and he'll do whatever it takes to get us where he wants us and to get us to that place called love. But he's so uh, ready to give mercy at all times for those who are humble, for those with a repentant heart when necessary. He's so ready with mercy. It's It's like it's in, he's holding it behind his back, in his hand, waiting for us to just be humble, even, even as we uh, fall and fail. So as we've been told by the Spirit to focus on the light and not wrestle with the darkness, this is another recurring theme that also came up at the end of our series on hindering God's love. And it came up before that, too. We saw this point um, in the last message in that series, Remember the Victory. Overcoming darkness was already done for us by Christ. So when we struggle with certain things, we need to stop wrestling with those things and just turn to the light. By turning to the light, which is the love of Christ, we defeat the darkness lurking in our lives. And this came up again in Pastor's blog. Be anxious for nothing, the one that came out last week. The same idea keeps coming up. You know, stop, stop trying to defeat the darkness on your own. Just turn to the light and turn your back to the darkness. If your eyes are on the light, everything else dissipates, okay? We're not talking about ignoring responsibilities in life. We're, we're talking about battling the darknesses, maybe in your own soul, the things you battle with, the things that get the best of you, temptations, whatever it might be. When you turn to the light and your eyes are on the light, those things, you... you you can't see them anymore. And it's, it's funny, but they actually start going away because your eyes are on the right thing. So again, overcoming darkness was already done for us by Christ. So when we struggle with certain things, we need to stop wrestling with those things and just turn to the light. By turning to the light, which is the love of Christ, we defeat the darkness lurking in our lives. Go to Philippians 4, and let's read again the passage that was the main passage for Pastor's blog, Be Anxious for Nothing. And as we read this, 
It's really all about turning to the light in Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Just to stop right there for a second, this was the first time I read verse 6, where it reminded me of, cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you, which is also in the blog. Because what's the solution to being anxious? The solution is in the next part of the verse. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In other words, throw it all on him. And that way you won't be anxious. It's when we don't throw it all on him. It's when we don't turn to the light and see his power and love that we focus on the darkness. So again, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is, anything, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, Dwell on these things. In other words, turn to the light. Look at the attributes of the light in verse 8. Why are you looking at the darkness? Why are you focusing on the darkness? You know what it is. You know the more you look at it, the more you think about it, and the more you let it get to you. Why don't you just turn and look at the light and enjoy the peace of God? In verse 8, it tells us to dwell on these things. In other words, what are you concentrating on on a habitual basis? Dwell on these things. And the Greek word for dwell means to take an inventory. Take an inventory. Again, look at all the things in verse 8. We're taking an inventory of what's good, what's true, what's part of the light. We're recalling it to mind. It reminds me of Thanksgiving. Isn't that what Thanksgiving is? We slow down and we take an inventory of all the things God's done for us and to us and in us. And that process, back to processes, that process of taking that inventory is is super valuable. You know, that's why you shouldn't be, you know, praying for two seconds. Hi, Father Moik. Help me this day. He wants you to go through that process, even if it's only a few minutes of slowing yourself down, taking an inventory of the good things and the things to be thankful for. So we are to take an inventory of all the good things in our lives and also recognize that they all come from our dear Heavenly Father in Heaven. Anything good, the Bible says, comes from Him. Everything good comes from Him. We saw on Sunday that we have different types of fathers in our lives to be thankful for. Uh, We have our Father in Heaven, clearly, which is the main subject of tonight. We have spiritual fathers uh, to be thankful for, like apostles, like shepherds, etc. We have fathers in earthly families, uh, even, even even in earthly families, different types of fathers, and father figures, such as mentors, etc. And if you think about it, whichever category, you know, Uh, you can relate to in your life, there's nothing in life quite like a good father figure. Is that a fair statement? I mean, even if you go go think of one or two people in your life that have really been that type of person in your life, that example, that rock, if you will, that stability, that um, um, big picture perspective, almost a mature perspective like an older person can give you, right? If you think about that, There's nothing quite like having somebody like that as an example in your life. So thank God, even if it's only one person, that you've had them. And of course, you have spiritual fathers, hopefully who help you, and of course, God the Father. Instead of focusing on the shortcomings of our fathers on earth, 
we have the perspective that God our Father provided what's best for us, having all knowledge. Again, it's easy to focus on shortcomings. If you're in the flesh, that's what you're going to do. And, and even, even the best fathers in this world are going to let you down at times or in certain ways. But we have the perspective that God our Father provided what's best for us, even if it's not what we think was uh, a great father, let's say, in our life. God knew what was best for us. He had all knowledge. For example, he knew the things we would need in our life to become saved and to best follow Jesus Christ. You're here right now, aren't you? Even if you're not here in the church and you're listening on the internet, you're following God right now, maybe because of what you've gone through in your life. Apparently, God knowing all things knew that was something you needed to go through. So it's back to perspective. We can choose to have that perspective, the one that trusts our, our all-knowing Father. And we can dwell on those good things and his good plans. So the place that we all need to start is looking at God the Father and also the intimate conversational relationship that Jesus had with him. On the board we saw on Sunday, Jesus' favorite term for addressing God was Father. That's mentioned 165 times in the four Gospels alone, 100 times in the Gospel of John alone, and only 15 times in the Old Testament. So we have a lot of examples on the board of Scripture, and as you can see, most of those are in the Gospel of John. You might just want to, next time you read the Gospel of John, look out for the Father terminology. Look out for that conversational relationship he has with his Heavenly Father. So let's revisit a couple passages in John, and we're going to point out a couple things on each one. Go to John 6.29. This is why the Jews tried to stone Jesus to death, because he kept calling God his own father. And that was blasphemy. You call God your father, you're making yourself out to be equal with him, is what the scriptures say. And so, this was a key point for them realizing who Jesus really was. And for us as believers, it's a key point to see the relationship there, the intimacy of that relationship. John six twenty nine, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers, they're talking about their spiritual fathers, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So there we see his intim intimacy with the Father and how Jesus' whole plan was revolving around what the Father told him, what the Father gave him, etc. And one thing we see here about our good, merciful Father in heaven on the board is that he gives, he provides, he provides everything we need. Our Heavenly Father provides, and that's one thing a good father always does. In this passage, he provides eternal bread for us to live forever and never hunger again. 
He provided us His Son to rescue us from the darkness, and He gave us as a gift to His Son, who will raise us up on the last day. So notice how, again, God intertwines, the Father intertwines so many things together. He provided us, His Son, to save us, to rescue us, and then He gave us as a gift to His Son. And Jesus is going to raise us up on the last day, as he said more than once in that passage. So we have a good, merciful father who has a a master plan in place that we need to keep falling back on and watch him weave the things together, as a provider does. We have a good, merciful father who has done all he can do for us while still honoring our free will. Again, He's done all He can do for us while still honoring our free will. I mean, there's a lot of bad in this world, in this life. There's a lot of things we go through that we sometimes question God. Be like, why? I don't understand. But He's honoring our free will at the same time. How many things are we going through that we don't even realize are our own fault? In some way. They're our own stubbornness, our own whatever, getting in the way. Where God has a path of of freedom. He has a light yoke for us to carry. And we do a lot of things to ourselves. But he's done all he can do for us while still honoring free will. Go to the Gospel of John chapter 10. Verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. By the way, that should sound very familiar to John chapter 6. How the Father gave us to Him. The Lord keeps saying the same things in different ways. But it's always with the Father. The Father's will. You know, the Father's provisions. Again in verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And then jump to verse 38. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Back and forth, back and forth, right? The Father's in me, I'm in the Father. Father and I are one. Back and forth. It's like a tennis match. You know, and the poor Pharisees, they see the Father, they see the Son. They see the Father, they see the Son. And um, they were still so stubborn, not seeing the light. So we see an incredible intimacy and oneness, a supernatural oneness between Jesus and his Father. And he was trying to show the Jews that he and his Father in heaven were inseparable. And the proof of that was his perfect good work. I mean, Jesus even said it in verse 38, if you can't get by my personality, if you have a problem with me as a person, if you're stumbling because you can't picture God being man or whatever your problem is, look at the works I'm doing. They even asked them in, was it John 6? You know, show us the works so that we might believe. How many miracles did he already do? How many miracles did he already do? But that's what stubborn people do, hard-hearted people do. Show me another one. Oh, yeah, that wasn't real. Show me another one. Where does that come from? The stubbornness of the flesh, right? He says, just look at the works. You don't believe me? Look at the works. And that's the proof that he and the Father were inseparable. The Spirit also reminded us on Sunday of the endearing term that we can use towards our Heavenly Father, which was Abba. And the Greek word translated Abba is used to, ref, uh, used to refer to the intimacy 
of Jesus' relationship with his Father. So Jesus was our example. He's our prototype. He shows us what's, what's possible in a relationship with God. And we, when we believe in Christ, we then have the same rights and privileges that he has. So he, as the perfect son, was able to call him Abba, Father. And then once we're adopted sons, once we accept Christ, we have the same exact rights and privileges. And this title gives us a glimpse of the love and mercy of the Father. Just think about that. On the board again, our good, merciful Father. When a legitimate, sovereign authority allows himself to be called by a quote-unquote vulnerable name, such as Abba, that's special. And it shows the mercy and humility of the authority. I mean, God's all-powerful. He's sovereign. He doesn't have to answer to anybody. And yet he says, call me Abba, call me Dad. And that just shows how wonderful he is. How someone can actually have supreme authority and be merciful and humble, which was Jesus. Jesus was the Father in the flesh. When we see him, we see the Father. So again, when a legitimate sovereign authority allows himself to be called by a vulnerable name such as Abba, that's special. It shows the mercy and humility of the authority. In other words, he's not holding it over our heads, even though he could. He's like, call me dad. I have mercy in my hand right behind my back. You know, just call me dad. Show me humility. Repent. I'm waiting to be merciful to you, but I'm going to honor your free will. That's the type of father we have. So for those who have accepted his son... He gives us full and free adoption and the right to call him dad just as Jesus called him dad. There's, no, um, there's nothing missing in our, in our spiritual adoption. No paperwork missing. There's even no bloodline missing because once you believe in Christ, we're related by the blood of Christ now. You know, that's why the Bible calls us brothers, right? Because really, we're blood relative now, and by his blood. So, he gives us full and free adoption. There's no, nothing held back from that. It's full, proper sonship. And now we have the right to call him dad as evidence of that, just like Jesus called him dad. On the board in Mark 14.36, And Jesus was saying, Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. That term Abba in Baker's Dictionary, the rarity of this designation Abba for God is striking. There is no evidence in pre-Christian Jewish literature that Jews addressed God as Abba. And the second unique feature about Jesus' use of Abba as a designation for God involves the intimacy of the term. Abba was a term little children used when they addressed their fathers. Abba was a term little children used when they addressed their father, their fathers. How appropriate is that when we consider that Jesus encouraged us to have the faith of a child? This is what he wants from us. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The one who serves. And the one who has faith of a child. This is maturity in God's eyes. Having this type of relationship and view of your Father in heaven. So we also get to call him Dad. And he wants us to address him this way. To look at him this way. In other words, how do you view God the Father? Not just using the word Abba or Dad. How do you view God the Father in your head? It's taken some time for me, probably because of arrogance in my own soul, to view God in this way. But on the board, be honest with yourself. Ask yourself, 
Do you honestly look at God the Father as Dad? Are you comfortable calling Him that? And if not, why not? If you examine this question in your own soul, it may very well set you free. Ask yourself, do you honestly look at God the Father as Dad? Or do you look at Him like the guy with the lightning bolts in the clouds waiting to strike you when you make mistakes? That's what religion will do. That's a lot of garbage in my soul that He's dumping. But, I mean, do you look at God this way? Are you comfortable calling Him Dad? And if not, be honest in your soul. Do you cringe? Are you uncomfortable? If not, why? Why aren't you comfortable? And just be, I mean, don't condemn yourself. See if you can figure out what it is. It may be arrogance. It may be religion you're trying to dump. But when you see the truth, it becomes light. And then you can move on from it. Whatever garbage you need to dump. Go to Galatians 4, 6. And we'll see the spirit we've been given. And it's not of ourselves. It's not the flesh that wants to call God dad. The flesh doesn't want to. It's the spirit we've been given. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Father, because you are sons, at the point of faith in Christ, God has sent forth the Spirit of Jesus Christ into your heart. And it's by that Spirit, it's by that new nature, that we call call out Abba, Father, Dad. So back to God being our Father. Jesus wanted his disciples to realize they had a true father in heaven, even though they were adopted into the family. On the board, we saw this on Sunday, Jesus taught his disciples. Father was not just one way Jesus taught his disciples to address God. It was the way. They were to pray, for example, Father, hallowed be your name, in Luke eleven two. That was the way. Jesus wanted his disciples to know fully that they were indeed children of God. Even though scripture makes a distinction. And this was interesting on Sunday. Um, I hadn't really noticed this before. Our father adopted us. Jesus is the son of God. We are adopted sons. This is why he never used the term our father. Rather, he used the term your father in reference to us. Or he said, my father, when he was talking about himself. He wasn't slighting us. He was merely saying that intrinsically, he was the son, whereas we are adopted. And we see that in verses like John twenty seventeen, Matthew five sixteen and 45 and 48, Matthew 6, 1, 4 and 6, Matthew seven twenty one, Matthew 10, 32 through 33, and Romans 8, 12 through 16. Go to John 20, verse 17. It's a good example that we saw on Sunday. So there is a distinction in how Jesus spoke about the Father. In John 20, 17, Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. So again, he doesn't speak in terms of our Father. He actually separates them out, as in a passage like this, my Father and your Father. That being said, we are adopted sons, and that adoption is real and true. And we're not missing anything even though we're adopted sons. In my new position at work, I've had the privilege to meet some women who are financially poor 
and often single or divorced, who adopt problem children, more than one many times, into their home. And when I say problem children, I mean they're not just adopting children that have no home. They're adopting children with mental and physical handicaps. And when I see that, it just blows me away. I just, I can't get it. One lady was going to adopt like four or five. And I'm like, what do you, what? <laughs> I can't comprehend it. And, and it's not a coincidence. These women are believers, and women have a, a great compassion for those that are hurting, um, the compassionate side of God, if you will. But I'm just amazed at that type of sacrificial love and faith for someone to do that. And as Pastor mentioned on Sunday, think of how the lives of these children will be changed by compassionate women like that. And their lives will never be the same again. They've been rescued out of a bad situation and brought into a home, a real home, with someone who wants to love them. So that if that's happening in the earthly realm and even possible in the earthly realm, how much more when we recognize that God took us on as his children with all of our handicaps and weaknesses and rebellion, right? I mean, he, 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 <laughs> he went to the orphanage and said, I'm going to take the five worst ones, the five with the most need, the five with the most handicaps. That's who Jesus came for, isn't it? The sick, the poor, the blind. And he said, come on, into my household. And when you're in my household, it's a perfect household. Your sonship is real. How grateful we should be that our lives have been changed forever, despite our backgrounds and our sinfulness. Our lives have been changed forever, and we no longer have to think about the dire alternative. We no, have to, no longer have to think about going back to the foster home or the orphanage. Never. It's not like a human being that could make a mistake and change their mind. We are his household now. We're part of his family. So we've been truly rescued, like in every sense of the word. We've been adopted once for all. And how do we know it's once for all? Because our Heavenly Father is perfect. Can't make mistakes, can't go against his own word. So it's permanent and it's true. Go to Rain, Romans, Raymond's. Go to Roman 8.12. I had some ramen noodles before service, apparently. <laughs> Remember those? Those were good. I haven't eaten them in a long time because they're like all salt and a little bit of pasta. But... Um, Go to Romans 8.12. So then, brethren, we are under, under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Sound familiar? In the other verse we, we read, we, we've been given the Spirit of Jesus, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And so the same thing in verse 15. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So our confidence in life comes from our adoption by God the Father, our permanent adoption by God the Father. And we know that adoption by him means full and perfect acceptance into his household. We're no longer to be called slaves or even enemies. We're now to be called sons. And this is all because our Heavenly Father is good and merciful in a perfect way. Now please concentrate here for this point on the board because there's a lot going on here regarding our good, merciful Father. 
we must remember all good things come from our Father above. James 1.17 Anything bad in our lives comes from our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Again, anything bad in our lives comes from our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Free will is used to perform evil, even twisting the good things of God in the process. Our Father may allow certain things, but He is not the author of such things. So again, in James 1.17, all good things come from our Father above. So anything bad in our lives comes from our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Free will is used to perform evil, even twisting the good things of God in the process. But our Father may allow certain things, but He's not the author of such things. That's something really important to remember. He may allow certain things. That's true. I mean, He could have stopped it, right? Okay. But when the devil's world right now, He may have allowed it, but He was not the author of it. That was not his desired will for you. He, he may have permitted it, but he's not the author of evil. And he's not the author of temptation. So blame your three enemies if you want to blame anybody. The flesh doubts the goodness of God. And this is the thing that's uh, you know, been on my own soul the last couple of weeks where he kind of brought it out through Sunday's message a little bit. It's the flesh that doubts the goodness of God. It wants to accuse him when things don't go right. But if we step back and remember his perfect character and love and mercy, we can objectively see we're out of line, blaming the wrong person for our problems in life. If you want to blame anybody, blame the devil. I mean, go for it. You want to rant? You want, you want to uh, vent? Blame the devil. Because that's a valid, a valid blame. He's still the God of this world, according to the scripture. But blame the right one, you know what I mean? Get angry with the right one. Because only good things come from our Father in heaven. We saw on Sunday also, our Father blesses us. God's grace is abundantly supplied to all of His children, beyond all that we ask or think, Ephesians 3.20. His blessings are never-ending. His compassion new every morning, in Lamentation 3.22-23. We find peace in our faith that His grace is sufficient for each of us regardless of circumstance. 2 Corinthians 12.9, Philippians 4.11, Romans 1.7, and 1 Corinthians 1.3. Again, we have a good, merciful Father in heaven. All good things come from Him, the Father of lights. Go to James chapter 1, verse 12. James 1.12. I was visiting someone in the hospital today who um, is an older man and he uh, uh, may have a recurring cancer coming back. And he was sitting in the chair after being in bed for three weeks. He was sitting in the chair for the first time in three weeks. And he said with all the enthusiasm in the world, I love life. Life is good. I mean, he wasn't just saying it. It was like infectious. It was really neat to see from someone in that situation. Where did he get that from? Well, he's a believer. And he had a certain peace and uh, appreciation for life, especially maybe having cancer a second time. So he's like, I love life. And it was awesome to, to see in, in, in an enthusiastic way. And I may have said this before, but the word enthusiasm that comes from the Greek entheos. It means in God. Where does that come from? It comes from having God in you. And he was able to say, 
I love life. Life's good in this situation. And that's because the Father blesses us. That's because he's always pouring grace out, even in that situation. To be able to cope, to be able to have peace in that situation is, is like gold. It's like the greatest gold. And you can see again the second half of the point on the board. We find peace in our faith that his grace is sufficient for each of us. Faith that he's going to give me just enough, regardless of circumstance. Look at James 1.12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot tempt or cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So again, back to our previous point. Don't blame God. He can't tempt you. He can't be the author of evil. But each one, in verse 14, is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brother. What? About what? That God's the author of evil. That God can tempt you. Don't buy that lie. Do not be deceived. It's your flesh or the world or the devil. And then in verse 17, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. But again, every good thing given is from the Father of lights above. This is why we're told in Scripture to stand firm in the faith. Don't be deceived. We have a Father of perfect goodness and mercies. He's not a God of shifting shadows. He doesn't play shell games. He doesn't try to trick us or <laughs> even in a sarcastic way. You know, he, he's pure. He's true. There's no doubts. There's no lies. There's no confusion from him. He's a perfect father of lights. Go to 1 John 1.5 and we'll see something to complement this. He's the perfect father of lights. Listen, when light is perfect, when light is uh, pure, when light fills the room, there are no shadows. Perfect light, okay? Lights in this room, there's always shadows because it's not perfect. Even light from the sun, as awesome as that is, it casts shadows. God's light can't cast shadows. It's 100% pure illumination. And that's an analogy to his character, to his love. So 1 John 1, 5, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Don't be deceived. In him there is no darkness at all. He may allow certain things to happen, but he's not the author of it. Do you believe this about your Heavenly Father? Do you believe He's good and merciful? Always. Or do you hold on to lingering doubts? And I ask this from personal experience. Do you believe 1 John 1, 5, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all? If you don't fully believe that, then you are being deceived by either the flesh, the world, or the devil, or a combination of the three. So our Father blesses us, remember. Remember the flesh doubts the goodness of God. But call it out for what it is, a liar. 
Stand firm in the faith. If you have doubts of the goodness of God, you're not following a true principle. You're not, you're not finding truth in that thought. That is coming from a place of evil, which is the flesh. Only the flesh doubts the goodness of God. So call it out for what it is, a liar. And that's why the Bible tells us repeatedly, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So the perfect character and love of God our Father is revealed for all eternity in heaven. And how is it seen, or how is that at least described in the Bible? As light. Go to Revelation 22, verse 5. Revelation 22, 5. These last couple chapters in Revelation are really fun to read because it gives us a glimpse of heaven and what it will be like. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor even the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. There's a picture of the perfect character and love of God, our Heavenly Father. So again, on the board, our Father blesses us. That's what He does. Remember, the flesh doubts the goodness of God. So when you have that creeping in your soul, call it out for what it is. It's a lie. Don't listen to it. Stand firm in the faith. We need to close our mouths and cut off any negative thinking that the flesh throws at us. How? How about by turning to the light and keeping our eyes on the light instead of the darkness? How about just turning away from it and ignoring it? And the only way you can do that is if your eyes are on something good. In his case, perfect good. And then all those things will dissipate. Focus on all the goodness he gives us in Christ and be thankful each and every day. That's the way to sanctification, folks. Is that not what we've been learning? How simple it really is? to live in these principles, to live with the faith of a child and say, okay, I'm going to be thankful now. I'm going to take an inventory of all the things he's given me, even the smallest of things. I'm going to take an inventory of all the things he's forgiven me from our last series. I'm going to count those all up so I can really see the truth of the matter and remind myself, as we often need to do, that sanctification living in that gospel reality daily. And so we thank our Father. We simply have, so, simply have so very much to be thankful for when it comes to God the Father. First and foremost, of course, is that He chose to elect us on the premise of His Son's good work on the cross, whom He sent out of love, John 3.16. He chose that. He chose us. In proper form, we say thank you then to the one who gives. Ephesians 5.20, Colossians 1.2, and 1 Thessalonians 1.2-3. through 3. On the board in Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. The Father's the one responsible for giving us everything. All right? He used the Son as a vessel to do a lot of things and bring a lot of things to us, including salvation. But the Father is the, Father is the author of all this goodness. And in Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to who? The Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Go to 1 Thessalonians 1.2. 1 Thessalonians 1-2. Look at this one more time. But again, on the board, we simply have so very much to be thankful for when it comes to God the Father. Just thank God He's a God of uh, goodness and mercy. Scripture is repetitive about that. 
1 Thessalonians 1, 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Again, even though our Father is the one we're accountable to, even with forgiveness, He's the God of mercies. He's the one we can thank for anything good in our lives. And at the same time, our Father is sovereign. At the same time, our Father's immensity ought never be misrepresented in our souls. He is sovereign Lord over all things, even His Son. As such, we ought to fear God and keep His commandments. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, 15, 28, Ephesians 4, verse 6, and Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. So at the same time that He's merciful, He's sovereign. Do you see the two sides of God? They seem to be polar opposites. You know, a merciful, loving Father, and yet the one with sovereign authority to do anything and has the right to do anything that he sees fit. But they blend very well. And this is what came to my mind when dwelling on this point on the board. How great to have the promises of a compassionate father who has the perfect power to pull it all off. Just think about that. How great it is to have the promises of a merciful, merciful dad and he has the power to pull off all those promises and make sure they all come true. That's his sovereignty. I mean, thank God for that, because in the world, people usually are weak in one or the other. They're either weak in the promises or they're weak in pulling it off. Right? They might have the power to pull it off, but their promises are not good, not merciful. God is perfect, and, he, and these two things merge perfectly. And that's why we have such confidence in life and in eternal life. Go to 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, as we begin to close. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. Again, our Father is sovereign, and that gives us wonderful security. On the board, Ephesians 4, 6, we have one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. We saw also on Sunday, our Father comforts us. There's no real comfort, at least eternally speaking, in anything or anyone other than God. In any and every circumstance in life, when all else fails, we always have a special place with our Father in heaven, a place of peace and comfort as in 2 Corinthians 1.3. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.3. And I just love this title for our Father. 2 Corinthians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. To me, mercy is like breathing a sigh of relief. Every time I see or hear that word in the scripture, I breathe a sigh of relief in my soul. That he is that God. It's a breath of fresh air. And it's where our hope and security you know, is, is anchored. That he's a merciful father. The same when I read verses like this on the board. Micah 7.18 in the NIV 
who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. That's our God. That's our Father. And more importantly, this is the one that lets us call him Dad. He delights to show mercy. We always have a special place with our Father in heaven, a place of peace and comfort, whenever we turn our eyes to the light. And to top it all off, as if that's not enough, we receive inheritance from our Father. And as we saw on Sunday, an inheritance implies that something of value pre-exists. There's something in heaven that he wants us to have. God is love. God is peace. God is eternal life. Our Father gives us these things as an inheritance among many other things that will never fade away. We saw that in 1 Peter 1, 3-4 and 1 John 3, 1. Go to 1 Peter 1, 3. This is worth reading again. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. A point that came out on Sunday and uh, even in the Forgiveness series is not only did God adopt us, He promoted us. I mean, this, it's really crazy. It's a crazy plan. Not only did He save us from eternal death, even though we were His enemies, He then said, I'm going to elevate you to a position above the angels. I mean, what greater visual of a merciful, loving God could there be? Uh, Psalm 8. Go to Psalm 8 as we close. You'll remember these sentiments. This came out in the um, Forgiveness series. And the same idea on Sunday. Psalm 8, verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. Back to sonship. As a believer, you're in union with Christ. And if you're in union with the Son of God, you share his inheritance to a T. God doesn't hold anything back because you're adopted. You share his inheritance to a T because God is perfect. So again, regarding receiving inheritance from our Father, with God our Father, adoption means we are true sons and nothing less because our God is not one to show favoritism. He doesn't show partiality. Think about that in relation to sharing Christ's inheritance. It's not like in an earthly adoption where if somebody adopts a child into their family, they might treat their real son better than the adopted son in some areas. Right? They might love their real son a little more than the adopted son. But that's not God. He's perfect. In fact, that's impossible with God because of his character. In his perfection, he treats us fully as sons who can call him Abba, Father. In 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. That's because of the goodness and merciful nature of our Heavenly Father. 
And for that reason, we're just called to praise him forever and ever and ever. And we have no idea how much fun this is going to be in heaven. Forever and ever and ever. You could, I could try to think of like an earthly analogy. Someone on earth you really admire. We make all these idols out of actresses and sports figures and this and that, right? Well, imagine seeing Jesus Christ in all of his glory and seeing, seeing his wounds at the same time. You will not want to sit down. You know what I mean? That, that feeling of wanting to stand and applaud will be constant. It will be a constant state of whatever you want to, whatever you want to throw in there. Ecstasy, whatever. Constant state of it. And right now we have the opportunity to do that now in front of the angels, even though we don't see God. Even though we don't see God and the angels do, we have the chance to praise our Father in time, in humility. And that's the same response we're going to live in for all of eternity, worshiping God. This is his plan and his ultimate will, for he is worthy of our praise. He is a good and merciful God. Amen? All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the wisdom you share with us through your word and your spirit. Increase our faith, Father. Help us believe and see the light of who you really are that you are good and merciful all the time, and only good things come from you, the Father of lights. Father, we ask that you help us bring these truths out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. Give us the courage to share these things. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.